All right. Well, my wife and I, we just got back from Denver. We were at a pastor's gathering, and uh, we were pampered for four days. Um, the, the pastors of this church, they have been blessed. Uh, they have seen God's blessing over their church because, and I've just got to share just a little bit of this church's story because I think it's going to inspire you. This church, um, this couple moved about 16 years ago to the Denver area, and they didn't know anybody. They had no launch team. They just knew that they were going to start a church in Denver somewhere. And uh, they started a, a small gathering in their living room, and people uh, started coming. And uh, eventually it grew, and they had to find a place. But they were a mobile church for years. They didn't have a building. And when they were about 150, uh, the size of our church, they were about the size of our church when some church planters started coming to uh, to their gatherings, and they started these church. They, he felt like he needed to take a tithe, uh, to, to take an offering for these church planters that were in their gathering. And so he gave these church planters about three thousand dollars. It was, you know, it, it was what they. It was a lot for the for the church they were at at the time. And the next week, another church planter showed up, said, "Hey, we heard you were helping church planters." And church planters kept showing up at this small church, and they kept blessing these church planters. Well. About 53 church plants later, they, they were giving about 53 church plants, and uh, they still didn't have a building. I'm probably getting the timeline of this uh, a little mixed up, but the church is called the Pearl Church in Denver. You can look them up. Uh, Pastors Doug and Donna Lassett, they are amazing. They came from Portland. Anyway, there was a, uh, a, a, a big church, a big mega church that was, it was a mega church in the 80s, and they were closing their doors, and they were about to sell the building when Pastor Doug approached them and said, don't sell the building. Why don't you just give it to us? Give it to our church. And they had about a million dollars in the bank. They have this massive facility in the heart of the Pearl District, one of the nicest places in Denver. And the church did. They signed over everything, signed over the building. They gave them the, the money that was in the bank. They just gave everything they had to uh, to this church. And this, this, these pastors firmly believe that because they have been a blessing, or because they have been blessed, they are supposed to bless other pastors as well and pass that on. And so what they do is they invite pastors, uh, a small group of pastors from all over the world, uh, to come to this little gathering in Denver, and they pay for everything. They put us in like a, a four-star hotel for three nights. They feed us. They bring in these world-class speakers, and they just pamper pastors. So, so we're filled up. We just got pampered for four days, and uh, we got prayed over, and the Holy Spirit fell, and we feel uh, energized. And and uh, my my, what I love about that church, what I love about that story, is that that is the call of every believer, that you have been blessed so that you can be a blessing to other people. It's why God chose one people, why he chose the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to bless this nation so that the world might receive a blessing through this nation. And in the same way, God blesses his believers. He blesses his children so that we can be a blessing to other people. We're not supposed to hoard it to ourselves, keep it to ourselves, but we're supposed to share it with other people. And last week we started this conversation about evangelism, about sharing Jesus with other people. And really, uh, uh, the title of my message is, You Are a Storyteller. It's sharing Jesus without freaking out. And I talked a little bit about the negative connotations that are associated with evangelism, that we often think of, uh, of public speaking and being put on the spot and having to, uh, having to step out 
and do something really uncomfortable. And we think of the Latter-day Saints knocking door to door uh, or the person on the street corner holding a sign. It makes some of us really nervous for those of us who don't like public speaking. But you know what? Evangelism, what we talked about last week, I, I shared with you three points. That evangelism, number one, is the overflow of the Christian life. That if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that sharing Jesus with other people is an overflow of what God is doing in your heart. I would ask you, if you're not sharing Jesus with people in your life, is God really moving in you? Is he doing something in you? Because if he's pouring into you, the result should be you have to spill out onto the people around you. This is what we talked about last week. And if you were taking notes, you can write this down again. It says, uh, I, I had mentioned, you have everything you need to share Jesus with people right now. You don't need new skills. You don't need new tools, new techniques. You have everything you need. God has uniquely positioned you to have everything that you need to share Jesus with people. And we often use the excuse, well, you're right, Pastor, but I firmly believe that I'm supposed to share Jesus with my actions, right? Share the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. And all the introverts in the room said amen. Because, because it's a lot easier to use that excuse, oh, I'm sharing Jesus with my life, with my actions. And that is true. We are supposed to share Jesus with who we are and our actions. But we are also supposed to use words because Jesus didn't just use actions. He preached the kingdom of God boldly. He shared the message of the kingdom using words. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this, here's the key, in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear that if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Evangelism, number one, what we talked about last week is an overflow of the Christian life. It's who we are. The main ingredient for sharing Jesus is the the way that you were born to share him is simply having a genuine relationship with him. And when Jesus is your everything, when he is your joy, when he is the source of your peace, when he's the source of your security, then he is all you are going to want to talk about with people. When you get around people who don't know Jesus, he's all you want to talk about. It just comes up naturally in conversation because you want to share with people what's going on in your life. The main thing, what's happening in your life is Jesus. You carry God's presence with you wherever you go and you connect other people to God because you are a priest in his kingdom. And you are also intercessors for the people around you. God has called us to be intercessors and to pray for the people around us. And prayer shapes our attitudes, not only about God's mission and what he wants to accomplish through our lives, but prayer also shapes our attitudes about people. We begin to see people differently when we are shaped by prayer. When we spend time in prayer every day, we walk out of our our houses Looking at people differently, seeing that there is a person who is created in the image of God. There is a person who uh, has God waiting to be revealed inside of them. God has created. The Bible says that we've all been created in God's image. And there are people in this world who have not been made aware of that. But it's our jobs as Christians to see that inside of every person and to bring it out. The second thing we talked about last week is evangelism is storytelling. That it's not a sales pitch. 
It's not a sales technique. We're not telemarketers, but we're relationship-based. We all tell stories. And the gospel at its core is God's story. We learn how to re-communicate God's story. But it's also, uh, you, you not only can share God's story with people, but you have a story, don't you? You have a story about how God encountered you, how God changed your life. And so evangelism, sharing Jesus with people, is sharing God's story, but it's also sharing your story, what God did in your life. And only you have that story. Only you have that unique perspective, and you have been uniquely positioned to share God's story with people. Evangelism is storytelling. Everyone hates a sales pitch, but we all love a story. And let me remind you that it isn't your job to prove Christianity. That it is not your job to defend the Bible. The Bible doesn't need a defender. It's powerful. It's living and active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces through heart and bone and marrow. It is good on its own. The Bible doesn't need a defender. You don't have to prove Christianity. You just have to present it clearly. Just present the gospel clearly to people. And the last thing we talked about last week is evangelism is relational. That it is, it is something that we do naturally in life through the relationships that we have already been giving. God will sometimes call you to step out and go to a community that you've never been to before. Or he'll send you on a missions trip or send you out into the world to communicate the gospel with people who have never heard the gospel before. But oftentimes you don't have to do anything differently. You don't have to look anywhere else except what is going on in your own life and look at the relationships that you already have. If you imagine your life as a line, a line that is constantly intersecting with other lines, you wake up in the morning next to your spouse and there's a relationship intersection right there. You have breakfast with your kids. You say hi to uh, the barista making your coffee in the morning. You have meetings with your coworkers. These are all intersections. You hang out with people at the lake. There are already people in your life who don't know Jesus, people that you are constantly in relationship with and we are called to steward these relationships well. God will do amazing things within the relationships you already have. And this requires us to be people-oriented instead of task-driven. Come on, I think a lot of you might be like me, where you're just on a mission everywhere you go. You go to the grocery store. I don't like to spend a lot of time in the grocery store. I like to dart in, get what I need, and come out. But I'm often task-driven. I keep my my head down. I've got tunnel vision. I'm focused. It's not that I hate people or don't want to talk to people. It's just that I I don't have eyes to see oftentimes because I'm not people-oriented. But God is shifting our hearts. He wants us to shift our heart to see people because we are his hands, his feet. We are his eyes, his ears, his mouthpiece. We are the body of Christ, and we are called to be people-oriented and not just task-driven. Not so busy that we don't have time for the person who interrupts our day or says hi to us. We can take a few minutes out of our day to be led by the Holy Spirit to share God's story with them. Because that is how God moves. He does his best work in those intersection moments when we meet people randomly throughout the day. I would suggest that 
Maybe some of you are very involved in the church. Maybe you grew up with Christian relationships. You grew up in the church. And if you look at your life, you can't really identify an arena or an area of your life where you're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Maybe all you do is with people who go to church or you're involved in small groups. And that's great. But I would suggest that every single one of us needs to find a place where we can involve where we can involve ourselves in the lives of people who still have yet to know Jesus. If you like to golf, make some friends at the golf course who don't know Jesus. That is a 4-hour opportunity to share God's story. And if you golf like me, it might be a 6-hour opportunity to share Jesus with people. Come on, if you if you like to read, you can Start a book club. Let meet at the bookery and, and just read a book that doesn't even have to be the Bible, but just begin to start conversations with people. Be in relationships with people who don't know Jesus. If you like to run, invite some people to run with you. Invite your neighbor to run with you. Find people in your life who like to go to the gym and exercise with you. Some, some of you are looking at me like, that's funny, Pastor. Others are, amen, the gym. But we all should find areas in our life where we are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Because if you don't put yourself in those arenas, if you don't put yourself in situations where you can share the gospel with people, you'll never have an opportunity to share Jesus with people. Right? It's so simple. Just find something that you love to do and do it with other people who don't know Jesus. It's something to talk about. It's something that you both enjoy. And conversation will naturally flow from that. It's an easy way to share Jesus with people. Well, this morning, I want to just give you five things about uh, sharing Jesus with people. These are kind of practical things that we can do every single day to prepare ourselves to share Jesus with others in our life. And the first thing I want to talk about, these are all P words, by the way, and I I don't like, typically, I don't like sharing, I don't like acronyms or alliteration in, in, in messages. I think it's a little corny, but it just worked out this morning, okay? So bear with me. But the first thing that we need to do is we need to position our heart. It's just kind of what we, what I was talking about earlier about being people-oriented. But we need to position our hearts by filling up daily. I have a friend who's a pilot. And once when I was flying with him, he was explaining to me the 1 in 60 rule. Does anybody know the 1 in 60 rule for pilots? It's this idea that for every... 60 miles you travel, if you are one mile off of your tra- off of the path that you're supposed to fly, that means you are one degree off of your course. So uh, if, you are, if you travel 60 miles and you're one mile off, then you need to correct your course by one degree. So for instance, if you're traveling from Seattle to Rome, Italy, if you're off by one degree then you're going to miss Rome by 100 miles. If you're off by one degree, you'll miss Rome by 100 miles. Now, one degree off in our spiritual lives can often go unnoticed because we still end up in Italy, right? 100 miles off of Rome is Naples. And in our spiritual life, God says, I've got a mission and a call for you today. I've got something that I want you to follow my spirit into. I want you to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when we don't listen to that, we still end up in church. Or or we say, well, I'm still in Italy. 
I'm close. I'm close enough. We feel good about that. But we're not at the destination that God wants us to arrive at. You may have made it to Naples, but God wants you to be in Rome. Somebody say, yeah, I'll take Rome. Amen. Come on, send me to Rome. we got a mission trip coming up. We're all going to Rome. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. You know, many times we're a lot more than just one degree off. And when we're living in rebellion and disobedience, we're actually 180 degrees off. We're facing the opposite direction when we're living in disobedience to what God is doing. And every morning, God wants us to wake up and reposition our lives and ask him, God, what is it that you're asking me to do today? And if I'm one, two degrees off, allow the Lord to correct that trajectory and say, God, I want to be where you want me to be today. I want to go where your spirit is leading. I don't want to just get close. I want to be in your will. I want to do what you are asking me to do. Now, there's grace because we often, our lives, it's, our lives don't always look like a straight path, right? Instead, we're kind of doing this. When Jesus says that the road is narrow, we're often finding ourselves off the beaten path, but then the Holy Spirit or maybe your brother and sister in the church says, hey, I think we need to recorrect our course. And then we allow the Holy Spirit to bump us back on the path. But every morning we need to position our hearts by waking up and making the first thing that you do every day. The first thing we do every day is spend time in the presence of God. If that means you've got to wake up earlier. Ugh. If you're a young parent like me, you've got kids. Waking up early is not fun. It's hard to wake up before my kids because they get up early. But the first thing that we do every day is we position our hearts and we spend time in prayer in the presence and we spend time listening to the voice of God and we ask him, Lord, where do you want me to be today? What do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, lead me as I'm working. Lead my conversations as I go to the store today. Lead my conversations. Lead my interactions. Help me see people with your eyes. Position my heart, God. And if I'm even one or two degrees off, help push it back to where you want me to be. This is what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And this is why we have to, why we have to be careful about what we watch and what we listen to at home. Because our heart, whatever, whatever we're filling our hearts with, our lives are led by that. Our lives flow out of what is coming into our heart. And if your heart is weary or anxious or in despair, then your interactions throughout the day, they're going to be driven by those feelings. If your heart is content and you feel God's love and his pleasure over you, then you will be driven by those heavenly truths, which is why in the morning we bring our hearts to the Lord. And we say, God, everything I do today is going to flow from my heart. So help me to position my heart. Help me to see people today the way that you want me to see them. Help me to hear your voice more clearly this morning. And let me tell you, I, I, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and they say, Pastor, how do you hear the voice of God? I just feel like I spend time in prayer and I can't hear the voice of God. I don't feel like he's speaking to me. Because they expect every single encounter with god to be the heavens parting and a voice i've got a mission for you today whoa it's amazing it, it's not always like that it, it, it's rarely like that 
Every once in a while, we have these mountaintop experiences with the Lord where it just feels like the heaven parts and we feel his, his presence and we get, the, we get goosebumps and it's, it's emotional. Every once in a while, it feels like that. But most of the time, it's just consistency. It's this waking up every morning, just spending time in the presence of God, knowing I'm not doing this for an emotional high. I'm not doing this to feel God all the time. I'm doing this because I am his son. I'm his daughter, and I am called to be in relationship with him. But we position our hearts every day, and we get filled up daily. The second thing that we do after we position our hearts is we can prepare our words. We prepare your words. This is what Peter tells us to do. In 1 Peter 3, he says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, he says, always be ready to explain it. Have you ever had to explain the gospel to somebody? You ever had to present the gospel to somebody? Have you explained the story of Jesus to somebody? If you haven't, on your drive home from church today, ask your spouse, explain Jesus to me. Explain the gospel to me. Pretend like I don't know anything. Tell me about Jesus. And you practice that. You practice sharing the story of Jesus with one another. Remember that not everyone shares Jesus in the same way because we all have different stories. Different things about God stand out to each one of us. There's a unique way that God has asked you to share Jesus with others. And it comes from a combination of three things. Of your gifts, your callings, and your opportunities. Last week, I was going to go into this last week, and I had a handout for you. If you brought that handout, good for you. If you don't, maybe we have a, have a, a, a notepad or paper. Find something to write on because I, I want to do something with you this morning. Or you can take out your phone, take some notes on your phone. But there is a unique way that you can share Jesus with others. It comes from a combination of your gifts, your callings, and your opportunities. And so I want you to consider the gifts that God has given you, not just your spiritual gifts, but the gifts that God has given you. So if you're taking notes, you're writing something down, and you can do this when you get home as well. But as you consider your gifts, list everything you understand to be your gift. These are your spiritual gifts. These are your talents. These are your natural skills. Also include life gifts, such as your education, your experiences, your family, areas of strength and insight. All of these assets contribute to who you are and what you can be. These are all gifts from God. God has given each of us unique gifts. The second thing that we consider is we consider our calling. And so in this column, as you write your calling down, fill the space with things that you're passionate about. What are you passionate about? What moves you emotionally? What brings you joy? What makes you angry? What would you be willing to die for? What have you done that's given you deep satisfaction in life? And each of these answers, they factor into what we call your calling. God has shaped your life in such a way that you can't ignore these passions. So you have your gifts, you have your calling, and again, your callings are completely unique as well. Each of us have different callings in life. Each of us have different gifts. And lastly, you can write down opportunities. List your occupation, your hobbies, as well as some of the events that typically fill your calendar. You may wish that 
you had a different job or you could pursue different activities or you were able to enjoy other kinds of everyday experiences. But when you think this way, you're missing the point. You're missing the fact that God has established you as his ambassador right where you are with your opportunities. Nobody else has those opportunities and nobody else has the combination of your gifts, your calling, and your opportunities. It makes you completely unique to share the gospel with people in your life. Now you go back as you look at this list. After you make this list of your gifts, your calling, and your opportunities, circle one item in each column that brings to mind the name of a person you know who's not a Christian. And pray that God would use you in this gift or this calling or this opportunity to create an encounter between you and this person to share Jesus. And this is just a step towards sharing Jesus as you were born to do it. Think of Andrew and Peter. Think of how different these two men are when we read about them in the Bible. Peter is loud and he's bold. He's a leader. Eventually, in the book of Acts, we see him standing in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem preaching a gospel message. This is who... Peter was. And you might look at what Peter did and think, I could never do that. That sounds way too intimidating. You might not be a Peter. You you might not be somebody who stands in front of thousands of people and gives a gospel presentation like that. But we can all do what Andrew did. You know what Andrew did? Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And eventually he started following Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he went to his brother, Peter who was Simon at the time. He went to his brother, Simon, and he said, you have to come and see. You have to. He, he, he shared Jesus with his brother in a relational way. You have to come and see who Jesus is. You have to experience the person of Jesus. You have to, you have to know him. Now, Andrew might not be the one. We don't see him in Scripture as the one who's standing in front of, of thousands of people. And you might not be called to do that. You might not have a gift in that. But we can all do what Andrew did is find the people in our life who have yet to come and see and meet Jesus. We can all do what Andrew did. As you read the name of the people that you write down on your list, think of what they might be needing right now, which leads to the third thing. After we position our hearts, after we uh, prepare our words, identify our unique way that we share Jesus with other people, the third thing is we perceive others' needs. We think about what the people in our life need. Where are they at in life? And when Jesus spoke about people placing their faith in him, he used a lot of agriculture metaphors, didn't he? This is what he says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest, he refers to people who don't know Jesus or people who are coming into the fold. He refers to them as the harvest. He says the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, and to send out workers into his harvest field. Again, in the parable of the sower, Jesus compared the word of God to a seed that is sowed into the hearts of people. And the concept is that some people may only have a seed planted. That there are those of us who plant the seed in the hearts of people and other, others of us water the seeds that have already been planted. 
We get to continue to pour water on the seed that has been planted in the people's hearts. They might still need to hear the message. Or they might still need to have the seed planted. And we have to identify, what role am I playing? Is it my time to plant a seed today? What what does this person need? Do they need to hear the gospel of Jesus for the first time? Do I need to plant the seed today? Or do I need to water that seed? Do I need to continue to help it grow? When you're picking fruit from a tree, what fruit do you pick? And I hope it's the ripe fruit. We, we pick ripe strawberries off the bush. We pick ripe apples off the tree. And historically, I have felt that it was my responsibility to make sure that every evangelistic conversation ends with the person praying the prayer of salvation. Now, honestly, that's the goal, right? That would be the hope. That would be the dream that every conversation I have with someone ends with them praying the prayer of salvation and being brought into the fold. And that is historically what the, the pressure that I've put on myself. But spiritual growth, hear me now this morning, spiritual growth is ultimately not our responsibility. It's not. Their spiritual growth, you might have a child who has walked away from their faith, and as a parent, you feel it is your responsibility to make sure they come back into the fold. Growth is not your responsibility. It is the Holy Spirit that does that work. Our responsibility is to help plant the seed and to continue watering the seed until the Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is to that person and moves that person into placing their faith in him. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And this should be freeing to all of us to know that it is not my job. It is not my job to ensure their spiritual growth. I have to be faithful with the message, plant the seed, and I have to continue to water that seed and show them the love of Jesus by my actions and continue to encourage them and push them towards Jesus. But their spiritual growth is not my responsibility. It is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. I think some of you need to hear this this morning for some of your family members or your friends or people you've been praying for that you can take the pressure off of yourself but continue to pray. Holy Spirit, help that to grow. Help help show me how I can water this seed. Help show me how I can help encourage this person towards you. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That it is truly a work of the Holy Spirit that causes a person to see Jesus for who he is and to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. I feel the pressure removed from me when I think of it this way. And I remember what Jesus told Peter. When Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, he says, your name is Peter. And he says, on this rock, you will build the church. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I will build the church. On this rock, I will build the church. I will be responsible for spiritual growth. I will be responsible for people seeing Jesus for who he is. Jesus says, I will do the heavy lifting. You be faithful with your gifts. Be faithful with your calling. Be faithful with your opportunities. Hear the needs of others. This is more practically, it looks like this. We need to make room to listen to the needs of others when they're around us, when we're with our friends or with our neighbors or we're golfing with somebody for six hours and they start talking about their marriage or they start talking about the things that are heavy on their heart or things that we need. 
we tune in to the needs of other people. Practically, this might look like somebody needs help moving. We tune into what is it that they need? Can I show, can I, can I have an in here? Can I share Jesus with my actions? Is this going to provide me an opportunity to share Jesus with them? Do they need help moving? Does, does someone need you to visit them in the hospital? Are they hurting? Are they in need of care or prayer? Do they need a miracle to happen in their life? Do they need their bodies to be healed? Is there an opportunity for you to pray for their health and their healing? Are they depressed or suicidal and struggling to understand the meaning of their life? Listen to their needs. Listen to what they listen to the message of hope that they might need to hear. Do they have a desire to make a difference in the world, but they don't know how? And they're lost. They're scrambling for purpose in life. And they just feel like, I don't know what the purpose of my life is. We can tune our ears to the needs of people. Because these people, they might be ripe for the harvest. But it requires intentional listening to the needs of others and to be willing to step in. I think oftentimes we, are, we, we, we put all of our energy maybe in apples that aren't ripe. And people that aren't ready, that, that the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed yet who Jesus is to them. And we, we can water those seeds. We, we, we continue to show Jesus with them. But we should be tuning our ears to where are the ripe apples? Where are the people that are ready to hear the good news of Jesus? And let's focus our energy on those people. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, when I'm with those who are weak... I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. Are we people that are willing to do anything to save some, anything short of sin? We should be a body of people that are willing to go the longest distance, For the hope that we might save someone. To go the extra mile. To step out of our comfort zone. To begin viewing people the way that God views them. To step out of our comfort zone. So that we can be used to share the good news of Jesus. We become everything to everyone. So that we can hope to save some. So after we perceive people's needs. We tune our ears to the people around us. What is it that they're they're needing? Do they need a message of hope? Do they need healing? We, number four, we present the gospel with respect. We present the gospel. The gospel, the gospel isn't the problem. It has never been a problem. The church has a presentation problem. We have a presentation problem. Imagine that you're going to your favorite restaurant. And around here, my wife and I, we like to go to Michael's on the Lake or we like to go to Enzo. Has anybody been to Enzo yet? It's pretty good. And we like to go out to dinner. We have a date night. We try to have a date night once a week. And imagine if you ordered a big, juicy, delicious steak, and they bring out this delicious steak on a filthy plate. There's like boogers on the side. There's dirt. There's all sorts of unknown stuff on the edge of this plate. What are you going to do? You're going to say, can you take this back? Put it on a clean plate, please. You wouldn't eat that. You wouldn't eat that steak if it came out on a filthy plate. Some of you are saying, yeah, I would. <laughs> You're gross. God bless you. 
That's why you pray over your meal, pastor. (laughs) Here's the thing is the church literally has the best news of all time. The Bible has never been the problem. Jesus has never been the problem. The gospel has never been the problem. We have a presentation problem. The gospel is the best meal that anyone can have. It doesn't need any altering. But unfortunately, we live in a culture that says the gospel is the problem. It's too offensive. So I'm going to change what the Bible says. And we water down scripture. We water down the gospel because the real gospel is too offensive. And we think that people aren't going to want to hear this. Can I just tell you that when you water down the gospel... When you alter the word of God and you make Jesus out to be somebody that he's not, the true power of the Holy Spirit will not have its work in the heart of somebody. Because it is the true Jesus. It is the true gospel that changes people. This is what Paul says in Romans. He says, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is perfect just the way it is. But it matters how we present it to other people. Are you demeaning or share the gospel as if you're better than somebody else? Church, I got to say that I'm guilty of this. I'm a very judgmental person. If you are involved with the Enneagram, if you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm a type one on the Enneagram and I'm judgmental and I can sometimes get stuck. And I think we in the church can get stuck thinking that we are better than everyone else. Why doesn't the world just shape up? Why don't they just see the truth? How could you vote for that person? How could you say that? How could you believe that? And we get demeaning and judgmental. And that is a terrible presentation. That is a filthy plate that we're putting the gospel on. Are your words kind and respectful? And do your actions attest to your message? Are you living out what you preach? When you share the good news with people, are you living it out? Is that who you are? Sadly, instead of changing the presentation, many churches, they've watered down the message because the gospel seems too offensive. The message cannot change, but our presentation has to change. So we present the gospel with respect. I love what Peter says. He says that we present the gospel. He says we always are prepared to share with somebody who asks, but we do it with respect. Never demeaning. We respect people as we share the gospel. I'm going to invite Mary to come up as we talk about the fifth thing. The last thing that we do after we present the gospel to somebody, we, you might be the one who plants the seed. You might be the one who waters that seed. But we always have to remember one of the most important things that we can do is to pray for the Holy Spirit to move. Pray for the Holy Spirit to finish the work, to finish the growth that maybe you have planted in somebody's heart. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the heavy lifting. And so as we think about our family members who don't know Jesus, as we think about our neighbors and our 
our friends, our co-workers that we hope one day will hear the good news and say yes to Jesus. Are you praying for that person? In the morning as you're positioning your heart, are they included in your words? Do you, do you pray for those family members, for those co-workers? Because the Holy Spirit is ultimately going to do the work. He's going to cause that growth to happen. And this is one of the most important things that we have to do, church, is that God listens to the prayers of his people. He listens. He tunes his ear to the prayers of his people, especially those who are in love with his people. Those of us who say, God, I want to love people the way you love them. And this person is your son and your daughter. They might be your actual son and daughter. And God sees the love that you have for them. He sees the love that you have for your co-workers. He sees the love that you have for those around you that are lost. And he says, I am tuning my ear because I see your love for them. And I'm sending my Holy Spirit before you to do the work. I've heard so many testimonies lately of people who have said, nobody told me anything. I, I woke up. I, I, I went to sleep. I had a dream. And when I woke up, I just felt like I needed to read the Bible. And I started reading the Bible. And it was just evident to me. The Holy Spirit revealed to me who Jesus was. And nobody said anything to them. But the Holy Spirit did his work. I guarantee you somebody was praying for that person. Somebody was praying, Holy Spirit, reveal who you are to them when they read Scripture. I can tell you I am where I am today because people have prayed for me. You are where you are because people have prayed for you. Somebody shared the gospel with you. How would you have known Jesus if somebody didn't open up their mouths and share Jesus with you? Whether it was your parents or a friend or a pastor at church. You've received and now it's your turn to pour it out. To share it with others. It is an overflow of your life. This is what Luke 24 46 through 48 says this is what is written this is what Jesus is explaining to his followers before he ascends to heaven he says the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you are witnesses to these things see here's the thing Jesus didn't say the gospel was only about his death and resurrection it's about proclamation. It's about the, the proclaiming of that truth by the people that he's redeemed. You see, until there's a retelling of God's story, the story is not complete. You are God's storytellers. And until that story is told around the world, the story is not complete. The gospel is not complete because you are a continuation of God's story. You are continuing the mission that Jesus had on earth to share the good news with people around you. Would you stand with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, Lord, we want to be a people who see others the way that you see them. And God, I pray that you would fill each one of us with a courage, with a boldness. Doesn't mean that we all have to be extroverts. Doesn't mean that we have to be somebody else, but God, show us the uniqueness of our story. Show us the uniqueness of our gifts 
and our callings and our opportunities and place us in those moments in our life that only we can get to, the relationships that only we have, and give us the words that your spirit will give us. Your word says, Jesus, you told your followers that when they would be presented before officials and rulers and they would be put on trial, Jesus, you told your followers that my Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. He will fill you with his power. God, I pray that we would be a people, not just of talk, but of power. First Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. So, Father, I pray that you would fill our words with power. Fill our actions with power. We love you, Lord. Right now, here's what I want you to do is maybe uh, grab, your, grab the hand of the person next to you. And we're going to pray together for our loved ones, our family members, our neighbors. That I want you to put one person's name in your mind right now. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus, put them in your mind right now. We're going to intercede for them right now as a church family. Just begin to whisper their name out loud. Jesus, we come before you as your people, as your children. And Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to our loved ones, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. Holy Spirit, go and do a work that only you can do. Begin to soften the ground. Begin to to prepare the soil for the seed to take root. So, Father, that the next time we see them, we can either plant the seed or we can pour water on that seed. We can show them love. And, Father, I pray that there would be a mighty work that is done in their life. God, that you would begin to throw off the scales from their eyes, the, the, the lies of the enemy that keep them suspicious and skeptical of you, skeptical of the church. Lord, I pray for you to give us new strategy, a new presentation for these loved ones, these people that you died for. Lord, we ask for a supernatural, a holy anointing for this in Jesus' name, that we would go out, we would fulfill that commission to go and make disciples. We thank you, Jesus, for the opportunities that you're giving us this week. We will keep our eyes open. We will be alert to the opportunities you give us. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you, church. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.